0: Hello and welcome back to the Keeping It Arcadia podcast, Apaches. Thank you so much for tuning in to the ninth episode of Season 3 of the Keeping It Arcadia podcast, brought to you by the students in Arcadia High School's Digital Communications Internship, or DCI for short. This episode is dedicated to our fearless, kind co-leader of DCI, Ms. Duvali, and you'll hear why at the end of this episode. For now, my name is Jeffrey Lee, and I'm the host for today. Today, we start off with Joyce Peng, who joins our very own history teacher, Mr. Fox. Mr. Fox mentions traveling a lot in his class, and get this, he lived in Japan for a few years, so we were confident that he would have some interesting stories to tell. And we were right.
1: I'm here with Mr. Fox, one of the history teachers at Arcadia High, to talk about his travels abroad. So which countries have you visited?
2: Well, I don't know if I should list them all, but a bunch. you know. So I've had a chance, very fortunate, to uh, have had a chance to travel um, to countries like the Philippines, Japan, Korea, China, Hong Kong, Thailand, um, a great portion of Europe. Those sorts of places.
1: So what's your favorite part about traveling?
2: Um, well, I've been traveling since I was a kid. Um, and I just, I love traveling because I learn. Um, I learn about different peoples and cultures and food. I love food and I love all kinds of different food, so um, maybe just learning about cultures and food, uh, having those experiences.
1: Um, so what's the weirdest food you've tried? Oh my
2: goodness. So while I was in high school, um, when I was a junior in high school, I lived in the Philippines and uh, I was an exchange student a program called American Field Service and so I lived with a the family there went to school. And while there, uh, I had some very unusual foods. Um, something called balut, um, which is a, an egg that is fertilized, and there's actually a little chicken embryo in it. And then you cut the top off, and you drink it down, and it's weird because you kind of crunch on a little baby chicken bones. It was bizarre. I do not care for it, but I tried <laughs> it. I'll try everything once, pretty much. But probably the most um, difficult thing to eat was... Um, monkey brains. And that was also in the Philippines when I was on that particular excursion. And that was an unpleasant experience to say the least.
1: (laughs) (laughs) When you travel, do you usually just like wander around and talk to people? That's exactly what I do.
2: I just wander around. I even do that here. Um, yeah. So when, when my, when I travel or over the course of my life or now with my wife, um, we like to just go to places and just walk around and Oftentimes, you know, we don't have a plan or a, I mean, we'll have like hotels and that kind of stuff set up, but we'll often not have like day-to-day plans. Um, We just explore and walk around and walk into stores. And uh, one of my great memories, we were in Paris and we got up one morning and just, let's go take a walk. And we ended up walking five or six miles and we got back to our hotel. We had a whole basket with food and things. And we went to have a picnic at Versailles that wasn't planned. It was just, we did it and it was just fun, spontaneous.
1: Um, do you have any funny traveling stories?
2: Well, there's all kinds of funny things happen when you travel, and some I can't probably talk about. Um, <laughs> there, was, um, there was some interesting experiences. Um, we, I was in Thailand on New Year's Eve one year, many, many years ago, with a good close friend, and we were hanging out. And the Thai army um, came rolling down the street um, where we were and started throwing smoke bombs into all of the restaurants and bars and establishments to clear it out, and we all, hundreds of people, were then forced to be on the beach um, while they cleared the town, and we never, not being able to speak Thai, we did, never really did figure out what they were doing or looking for. All <laughs> we remember is that we spent New Year's Eve standing on the beach um, with the Thai army um, doing something in some little town. It was bizarre. Yeah, um, oh Gosh, there's been some crazy things. It's funny stuff. I don't know, I'd have to think about that.
1: Okay, Um. in class you mentioned that you lived in Japan for a few years. I did, years. three years. So did you visit Japan before that time? No, it
2: was my first time. Uh, long story short, I was in, in the transition of my my life and moving around different things. And so um, I heard about a program in Japan to work for the Japanese Ministry of Education. And um, I applied, and through the course of some interviews, they said okay, and i would never been in Japan. My dad had been in Japan in the years of uh, World War II and between that and Korean War. Um, and so I'd heard about Japan growing up and then I just said, I think I'll go to Japan. And I spent three years working for the Japanese Ministry of Education and uh, doing a lot of fun so stuff. So
1: what did you do? Did you um, I did
2: all kinds of work. I worked with English teachers and history teachers and school districts and um, I did model lessons. I translated textbooks. I helped write a textbook. Um, I gave teacher training seminars to other teachers. One of my ta one of the tasks in the particular part of Japan I was in, they were trying to change education from a lecture based to an activity based. So I was working with Japanese teachers to help them figure out how to way to teach history without just lecturing, um, things like that. So, so
1: how quickly did you pick up the Japanese? Oh,
2: slowly. Language. It's a tough language. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, you get into any place in the world you go. If you just live there, you pick up stuff because you have to. You survive, um, and so you know, I. I Got going pretty quick, and I started studying, like, formally. I took lessons and bought textbooks and worked with teacher friends that were helping me to learn it. So, yeah, I picked it up. Uh, that was a long time ago, so I've long lost most of that language. Anyway. <laughs> use it or lose it, as they say. So I don't use it anymore so much. But
1: So have you ever wanted to pursue a job in traveling?
2: Well, not anymore because I'm old and I'm a teacher that I'm now over 20 years teaching and I'll just keep teaching until I retire. But, um, yeah, you know, when I was younger, um, I had a great interest in travel. And so I did um, just on my own as well as um, I worked for a time in the newspaper business and um, I had aspirations or desires or goals to perhaps someday be able to turn that into something more um, global. Um, however, that didn't work out uh, just the nature of the newspaper business I was uh, not destined that I would get one of those kind of jobs. Um, that's when I left the newspaper business and uh, traveled lived in Japan, traveled a lot, and then ever since I've been a teacher. Um, one of the good things about being a teacher is you get winter break and spring break and summer vacation, so there's opportunities, to, at least there's time, to potentially travel, which I try to do as much as I can.
1: So why did you choose to become a teacher?
2: Oh, that's just such an impossible question. <laughs> um, I was in the newspaper business, and uh, I had a degree in history, and um, I, it wasn't going to be a career that I could stay in. It was closing up, and business, newspapers were shutting down. It was the beginning of the, the decline of the major newspaper business, and so the opportunities were becoming less and less um, present for me, so I, I realized I did something else. And I guess I was always a teacher in my life. I always taught people about things. Being a newspaper person, you're a teacher, in a sense, because you're teaching the public about what you report on. And what you research. Um, and so I just thought, okay, well, I'll become a teacher. And I also had great teachers that, that sort of inspired me. And uh, I became a teacher.
1: So while you're traveling, did you learn any new skills? Like a certain cultural dance or anything?
2: Well, let's see, probably. Gosh, spent been so many years. I did learn when I was in the Philippines as a kid. That was a long time ago. Um, I learned what they call tanikling, which is the, the Philippine dance where they use sticks and they clap on the ground and together, and then you jump in between them. So I learned how to do that because I was young, and I would do anything when you're young.
1: What's next on your bucket list?
2: Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, my next traveling, I'm going to be going to Berlin, Germany um, this year for the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. Long story short, my father was in World War II, he was at uh, a place called Torgau, what well, was then East Germany. Um, when the American army and the Russian army met at the Elbe River, which symbolized the end of World War II, because by then, then, when those two armies met, which were the opponents of the Nazis and the Germans, that that was the end of the Nazi com- campaign eventually would eventually come to a close. So this April, they'll be having a 75th anniversary um, commemoration, and uh, several of my brothers and I will be there to uh, sort of represent my father, who was there, who actually wrote the official American history um, of that event uh, and it's the official U.S. history of the end of the war. So we're going to go and check that out. Other than that, I'm going to go to Spain. Um, I often go to Japan. My wife's from Japan, My wife from Japan so I don't, that, that's a regular trip, although I don't consider that traveling because that's family. Um, and we typically just go stay at her family and do that kind of stuff. But uh, after that, I'll, I'll be going to Spain probably the next year for an extended um, trip. I've been there once before, but I want to go back.
1: Do you think you're going to move to another country if you retire?
2: I doubt it um, It's tempting But I, I think Other countries I don't know I haven't thought about it You know I mean I, I'm not opposed to But I don't really have a plan I'm like I'm gonna get out of America Because I know some people do retire And there's financial reasons Some people do it Some other countries Are cheaper to live in um, I don't But I like America um, It's a good place It's got problems But it's a good place Thank you You're welcome Good luck making out Something out of that <laughs> And
0: next, go to Jarrett Yip and his report on our long-ago favorite snack, the Crispito.
3: Hello, I'm Jarrett Yip, and today I want to talk about Crespitos. For those of you lucky enough to have experienced these, you'll remember the crunchy taquito-adjacent snack with that delicious savory filling that largely painted the snack landscape of our middle school years.
0: I'd like to cut in here, Jarrett. It's Jeffrey, and you're dang right that I'm mad. Crespitos were a cornerstone of my lunch back in my 6th grade year. Well, not really my lunch. My friend Andre Young used to buy like six of those, and I'd inevitably steal one. But the cheese, combined with the crunchiness, makes my stomach grumble, even now, just thinking about it. I still can't believe they took it away.
3: Today, these halls rarely hear the utterance of crispitos at all. Now, why is this? Ask one of your friends, and you'll probably hear something along the lines of a Michelle Obama tirade against Mexican inspired snack foods. And to some extent, they're right. From 2012 to 2013, Michelle Obama enacted key changes to school lunches through the USDA guidelines. These guidelines were phased in over three years starting back in 2012. These new lunch stipulations demanded healthier food options and calorie restrictions on snack foods in schools nationwide. In my opinion, when we subjectively see this as Michelle Obama took away our crispitos and now I'm mad, we are being inherently closed-minded and short-sighted in our views. Upon closer research on the Tyson chili chicken crispitos, I found there would be 240 calories, and 130 of those are from fat. These are some pretty unhealthy statistics, and if you want to eat a couple of these every day for an entire school year, that could definitely mean bad news for your future. We also especially need to consider the age at which these were available to us. To speak for myself, my eating habits and self-control in sixth grade were nowhere near where they are today. By providing such a delicious yet unhealthy snack at such a vulnerable time in a child's growth provides an opportunity for addictive and unhealthy habits to form. So next time you crave a crispito, it's okay to indulge yourself every once in a while. But always remember, these delicacies were removed from our easy access for a reason.
0: So back to Miss Nuvoli, This beloved lady will be heading off to work at a new school district. And although we dearly miss her, we at DCI hope that she, like Mr. Fox, can learn plenty of new things, make new friends, and have fun traveling to her new job. We love you, Miss Nuvoli, And that will conclude this episode. Thank you so much for listening to our 52nd episode of all time. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe for more weekly content. Please visit the list of all our episodes on our new AUSD DCI page. The link is dciausd.weebly.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.
3: This is Keeping It Arcadia, signing off.